choice is set before you now Living or die Blessing or cursing And no, the time has come around To turn from your fighting And rest in his mercy Choose life that you might live the Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening in whatever time zone it is that you are listening to this podcast. We want to welcome everyone to episode number 12 of Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. My normal co-host, Brian Lynch, isn't able to be with us today, and we do miss him. On today's episode of Off the Shelf, we will be continuing our conversation with Carrie Ann Zivich. As you heard last week, Carrie Ann grew up in the message and has been exposed to just about as much weirdness as it is possible to experience in the message. While this was not my experience, the fringe elements are definitely out there. Carrie Ann, welcome back to Off the Shelf. Thank you, Rod. Carrie Ann, we heard about your strange experiences last time, kind of growing up in the message. What started your journey out of the message? Well, my journey out of the message began when I was prophesied against at that church in California. I turned to William Brenham's messages to find quotes to prove the self-proclaimed prophet Raoul false. I did an in-depth study and copied into a Word document every quote containing their major doctrines, along with Michael the Archangel, Melchizedek, the Tent Vision, all the quotes on prophecy and how to determine if prophet is false. What I found myself doing was deleting many quotes that were contradicting each other and keeping only those in line with my belief on the subject because of the contradictions. That's referred to that's referred to as confirmation bias. Yeah. Which uh, we're going to talk to uh, talk about that whole the whole issue of confirmation bias on another podcast, but it's clearly um, alive and well among followers of William Branham. Yeah. Well, in spite of those contradictions, I continued on with my goal of finding quotes to show my husband and the pastor to prove Raul to be a false prophet. I shuffled my playlist on my phone to play a random message, and I was in prayer asking the Lord to give me an answer. Exactly what I needed was set on that tape. I knew the Lord was with me because he always made himself real to me throughout my life, time after time, with what I can only describe as miraculous. I falsely attributed his ever-near presence to my being in the message. God did speak to me through the tapes many times, but looking back on all my experiences, I do believe God will use whatever vehicle he can to reach someone, depending on where they're at in their walk with him. My mother-in-law heard from the Lord through her messages out of her Catholic book she was reading, and that actually led her to Christ, but that's where she was at at the time. It just goes to show that if God is with you, he'll make himself known to you by whatever you have your faith in at the time, regardless of where you're at in your walk with him, until the Holy Spirit guides you out of the error you're in, and you're firmly established with your faith in the word of God alone. There's a doctrine that's referred to as the perseverance of the saints. And I honestly believe that there's some people like myself who are in the message that are Christians. And as the message gets stranger and stranger, because of the predicted predicted results of cognitive dissonance, they start waking up and realizing that there's something terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. 
those who persevere are those in whom God begins a work of saving grace. Paul says this in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know who, who that is, but if that work that was initially started in the life of a person is a true work of God, it will ultimately lead that person out of the message and into truth. Amen. So where did your research take you? Well, my experience in research in California was just the beginning of the breakdown of my shelf of questions. I found out while living in California that Willard Collins, Billy Paul, and Joseph Brenham all believed and propagated the return ministry and literal tent doctrines. When I called Brother Collins about the tent vision, he was adamant that it had to happen because it was thus saith the Lord. And it was a vision. God knew I would try to avoid at all costs any anti-message websites. And so he had to reach me a different way. I was a stubborn one. While in California, (laughs) I had printed out some witnessing cards with a cloud on one side and the pillar of fire on the other side. Some people might be familiar with it. It was originally made by someone years ago in the message, and it was the size of a business card. I modified it to include the Believe the Sign website link on one side and our church's website on the other to hand out to witness to people. Well, immediately after printing the cards, we found out your website issued an apology for publishing faulty information that you replaced with what you claimed were facts. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> Wasted. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> I did what any good message believer would and took a black marker to cover up your website link because I had printed out 5,000 of those cards and I wasn't about to throw them out. Well, when we moved to Ohio, we began attending a message church, the complete opposite of the one in California, who d- wouldn't even hang a picture of William Brenham or the picture of the Hoffman in their church because they said that that would scare people away from coming to the message. So it was very much a uh, toned down version of the message. And what I thought was, wow, finally a somewhat normal church after all the crazy yeah, churches yeah. I'd been through. <laughs> I mean, this one, I thought, had a pretty good balance overall, you know. He maybe said one or two quotes of William Brenham a service and mostly preached out of the Bible or tried to. So that was a breath of fresh air after the overwhelming stress I'd gone through with those people out in California. It actually led me to having post-traumatic stress for a while, from being told I was the Antichrist to getting texts telling me I needed to put a lid on my mouth from the brothers in the church because I was questioning their doctrines. And they were determined to turn my husband against me and didn't stop contacting him until sometime after we moved back to Ohio. And I had to tell them to stop coming in between a husband and wife because they were going to cause a divorce. And they finally stopped contacting him. Slowly, over the course of the next three years, God began to open my eyes to see things that just didn't line up in the message with what the scriptures said. Things just began coming across my path, and I began researching things. I began listening to preaching from SermonAudio.com, which was vastly different from listening to William Brenham's tapes for me, because I felt like for the first time, I wasn't hearing half a sermon taken up about a man's life and all his miraculous stories he talked about in practically every tape. But instead, I was actually hearing the word being preached and learning more of the word. Well, George Smith recommended that I start listening to other ministers such as Chuck Swindoll with Insight for Living. 
He said William Brenham himself sat under many different preachers regularly. So I started doing that and I was enjoying the, the learning the word that I was learning. Well, I came across your video one day on the inconsistencies in the story from the man from Windsor. It left me a bit puzzled because I'd never thought about questioning any of William Brenham's stories he told. And I came across a website that tried to explain away his extreme exaggeration of seemingly every story he told that was written by someone in the Seven Thunders subcult group. Well, they chalked it up to just being part of his personality and listed out the four types of personalities. Well, my father happened to be also an extreme exaggerator when telling stories, which I'd personally call lying, but I dismissed it anyhow until I came across the website by searching for vindication. I briefly looked at their timeline and clicked off the page, not wanting to look at anything anti-Brenham. I sent it to my pastor asking him about it. And he said I needed to stay off those websites. After that point, I was ready to do some real searching. Their timeline of actual documentation of facts versus William Brenham's claims just didn't match up. And I really wanted to know the truth. A visiting minister came to our church with a supposed deliverance ministry that weekend, who everyone raved about. And his sermon revolved around staying off those anti-message websites. He said he didn't care about no bridge and didn't need no vindication for anything William Brenham preached because God vindicated him by bringing him to the message, referring to the Searching for Vindication website. Well, that was coincidental since I had just sent my pastor the link to that website, and then the next day a visiting minister is preaching against it. Hmm. The devil knew I was questioning things, and so he put on a show for me that kept me in the message for another six months. At the end of the sermon, someone went up to the altar and was crying out to God for deliverance. He was moaning, and the preacher came back in after almost everyone else had left and cast the devil out of him. He was flipped in the air and twisted in an inhuman way and thrown around the front of the church. Talk about supernatural seeing actual demons. That kept me from questioning anything else for a few months. Six months later, we decided to switch churches because I had been studying some things and brought them to the pastor's attention, but he had no interest in seeking truth. He just sent me back an article that was, you know, told me that I was wrong and dismissed it. Well, I had asked God to reveal truth to me as I did not want to teach my son any lies. I really was not ready for the magnitude of truth he did send me. I had watched a documentary on the pre-trib rapture and the remnant, and after extensive biblical study on the topic of the remnant throughout the Bible that I recommend everyone to do, I just could not see William Brenham's explanation and types lining up with scripture and the foolish virgin. The topic of the first sermon at our new church just coincidentally happened to be the pre-tribulation rapture. The second sermon was one on all of William Brenham's prophecies and visions. After that sermon, I went straight home and stayed on my computer until midnight, looking up and signing up for every article I could find that William Brenham referred to in regards to every prophecy he made, most of which he said had already come to pass, which I was always taught in every message church, they were all still to be fulfilled in the future. Well, the articles I found actually had the headline of 
predicted for the future as part of the title. I was officially out of the message that night. I looked back through my old emails of testimonies I'd sent to certain people of how God delivered me from the opposition I faced in California and came across some quotes I had included in one email on prophecy and how to determine if someone is a prophet of God or if they're false. Well, William Brenham says, a seer means to either foretell or tell forth. He is a seer that sees things that's going to happen and he predicts it to the people. And the Bible said, if it doesn't come to pass, then don't you hear him. It has to be every time. God cannot fail. And if it doesn't come to pass, he wasn't with that person. Well, with William Brenham's own admission there, if just one thing he spoke failed one time, that would mean he was a false prophet. That that just didn't line up to me. And William Brenham says in the tape Divine Healing in 1954, A gift of prophecy is to be judged before two or three judges, but never a prophet's to be judged because his word is true from cradle up. Can it truly be said of William Brenham by his own admission of how to test whether a prophet is of God that his word was true from cradle up? Yeah, that's clearly William Brenham's test, but it's not biblical. Uh, In my view, there are two tests that William Brenham clearly failed. Uh, And and the main one is Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. And and I want to read it for our listeners. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Now, some message believers actually try to justify William Branham in spite of this verse by saying that if he spoke presumptuously, then it still isn't that big a deal. But they miss the point of verse 20. The penalty under Moses was that the false prophet was put to death. If we accept the excuse that message followers give, that the visions failed because William Branham was disobedient, we end up making this scripture of absolutely none effect because every single person who had a failed vision would have been able to say, sorry, it failed because I disobeyed. You can't kill me. That, that just doesn't <laughs> fly. The other thing William Branham failed was the test of Titus 1.7, but I won't go into that right now. The one other thing I do want to say, Carrie Ann, which, which actually was really astounding to me, and I would, I would really challenge anyone listening that's still in the message to find this for us, and that is, look and see if you can find an unambiguous prophecy that William Branham made on a tape, i.e. something that was recorded publicly. So you're able to verify that it was actually made in advance. It was a prophecy. And then that that prophecy was later fulfilled in a clear manner. Uh, We've told people on our website publicly that we'll publish any such prophecy and its fulfillment. And you'd think surely somewhere on a tape between 1947 and 1965, there's a prophecy that he recorded on tape before the event happened that was later clearly fulfilled. But to date, no one has brought us such a prophecy and we've been unable to find a single one. Anyways, back to your research, Carrie Ann. Well, as William Brenham says, God will always vindicate truth and never a lie. I also found several quotes from the message Discernment of Spirit that talked about how God doesn't prophesy to a man's glory. He does something to glorify himself. And prophecy is for the edification of the church. Now, how does prophesying about a brown bear edify God or the church? 
or any of his prophecies for that matter, creating squirrels? I don't see that edifying God. I see that edifying William Brenham as something special. I recommend everyone to listen to the message, Discernment of Spirit, and then study all his prophecies in light of that message and see whether or not they were truly from God with William Brenham's own description of how one should judge a prophet. When when I was researching the message, I actually wrote down each one of the seven visions that William Brenham said he had in 1933 and then traced them through every time he mentioned them on all of his tapes. And you can do that with a computer program. And what I found shocked me, and I would commend to all of our listeners that are in the message to do the same thing. Do you really know what William Branham said? 1 Samuel 3, 19 to 21 tells us, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. William Branham believed this was true of him, but was it? If several of his visions failed, what does that tell us? So Carrie Ann, where did you go from there? From then on, I spent every waking hour of the next three months studying everything I could from an open and unbiased standpoint about the word, the message contradictions, and unlearning all the lies I had been taught growing up. I started my own website and Word documents with all the inconsistencies I found, starting with how William Brenham's father died apparently 15 different ways, and his brother died in multiple locations in different people's arms and in multiple ways. There were so many contradictions in all his stories that I eventually gave up trying with how exhausting it was just trying to find one thing he said that had consistency to it. So what did your husband think of everything that was going on? Well, my husband, of course, was still a diehard message believer, as I had not yet shared all the things I had researched with him, although he knew I had been questioning some things throughout the previous year. I began praying that the Lord would open his eyes to see the truth and fasted for two days. On the second day, he was trying to call whoever he could to talk some sense into me and was looking for George Smith's phone number on the Internet, knowing I had called him over the past four years every time I had an issue with something for counseling. In his search, he came across the website Morning Mercy, and he read the brother's testimony on how and why he left the message. He came home that evening a new man and open to hearing what I had to say and researching it for himself. After speaking with his mother two weeks later, who was also in the message, she too left the message for the truth of the scriptures. When I I talk to someone who is questioning the message, I try to make sure that they include their spouse in the conversation. I think the best approach is simply to say to your spouse, I I have so many questions, but I just want to find the truth. Would you help me find it? Would you help me search for it? And then they can search together. And I am extremely thankful to the Lord that my wife and all of our kids and their spouses came out of the message. So Carrie Ann, this is a question we regularly ask of people that have left the message it's common for people that are still in the message to say of those that have left they never really believe the message did you really believe the message (laughs) i was as message as they come i was going to die a message believer i posted brenham quotes on my facebook page almost daily the message was my life and i loved the message because i thought it was god's truth but when i found the truth i had to let the message go because it was full of lies It was devastating to me. It was my life. Yeah, yeah. But there's nothing more important to me in life than the truth of God's word. And I always felt my entire life that something was missing. And I just couldn't understand why would I have such a void in my life if I had the truth? What more could I possibly be missing? I'm thankful to say when I left the message, that void also left me. 
I had brought up to my old pastor the idea of starting a Bible study because I was just, I was thirsting for more and hungering for more of God. And I just, there was something I just couldn't grasp. There was something missing. So I wanted to start a Bible study and prayer group for my, for women, but he didn't like the idea, of course. And instead he started a weekly prayer meeting at his church to discourage me from running anything on my own. Well, I felt led to start a neighborhood women's Bible study anyway, and invited many of my neighbors and several friends to a weekly get together in my home. One of the people who came to the study had a gift of discernment in her life. She came up to me one day afterwards. She told me I had an antichrist spirit on me and rebuked it from operating in my life any further. I was really taken back by it. But I realized it was after that point that God began to open my eyes to actually looking into the controversy surrounding the message. And he took away the fear I once had on questioning anything. It's truly amazing all the things God orchestrated in my life at the same time in order to bring me out of deception. I wanted so desperately to hang on to the message, thinking it was the truth. I began studying the church age messengers and the things they taught and found that their teachings contradicted William Brenham's doctrines. And in fact, Irenaeus, the supposed second church age messenger, called the Serpency Doctrine a Gnostic heresy, writing several books to combat the doctrine that was circulating at the time. I knew God couldn't contradict himself, and that would mean that the angels all had contradictory messages and doctrines. How could that be? Paul said, if anyone comes with any other gospel than what he had already preached, it was accursed. Well, William Brenham's doctrines contradicted the doctrinal views of all the other supposed messengers of God. How could that be? Yeah, that's really true, Carrie Ann. William Brenham's teachings are really logically inconsistent. And here's what you actually get if you apply his logic. Number one, William Branham taught that each church age had its own messenger to that age. Number two, he also taught that in order to be saved, you had to believe the messenger's message for that age. Number three, at least, as you said, several of the church age messengers that William Branham identified as being messengers believed and taught that the classical doctrine of the Trinity was the, was the correct way to view God. And then finally, number four, William Branham clearly taught that the doctrine of the Trinity was satanic. And message believers have to accept this because he said it was thus saith the Lord. So when you put those three things together, you come up with a bizarre conclusion, if you believe William Branham, and that is this, that true Christians were required to believe a doctrine of the devil, satanic doctrine, i.e. the Trinity doctrine, in order to be saved. And if they rejected the message that the messenger brought, i.e. the Trinity doctrine, which included, you know, then then those people were lost. So it, it, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. But that is what message believers have to believe. Yeah. And he also claimed that the serpency doctrine was revealed in the seals. There's a quote for that. When he had been preaching on it for years prior to 1963 as revealed truth before the cloud ever happened. So how was serpent seed revealed in the seals? Another doctrine message believers are required to swallow that all other messengers condemned as a heretical Gnostic teaching. So you clearly disagree with those who say you never really believe the message. Absolutely. You know, people like to say, oh, they left the message to go out into the world. I believe the message with all my heart until I began to study it in light of the scriptures instead of using the message to interpret the scriptures. That may be true for some who were never saved to begin with, 
And we're just following a bunch of rules without actually coming to know Christ or because they grew up in it and they just didn't know anything else. Most, though, I believe, are so discouraged after everything they've seen that they wanted to get as far away from anything reminding them of the message as possible. That's not true, though, for many I've spoken to, including myself. By the grace of God, my life still does and always will revolve around serving him and living my life according to his word. Anything that contradicts the word of God will go. I had a friend at my old church who still occasionally goes back and forth with me about message doctrine by text. She actually told me the same thing. She said women leave because they want to cut their hair and wear pants and they just couldn't live the life. Well, why do men leave? If anything, it would be an inconvenience for a man to leave the message as he would lose the control he can wield over his wife given to him by message doctrine. Yeah, these comments that people make are they're clearly a rationalization because they simply can't admit that we and all those who leave the message are actually seeking the truth. If you go back and listen to what Jeff Jenkins said on the podcast we did with him, leaving the message cost him a lot. It certainly cost me all the people that I thought were my closest friends. It's really sad to have to admit that they don't appear to be have been really been friends, but it's cost me a lot. And everyone I know that's been in the message for a long time that's left, it's really cost them dearly. And they actually go through a grieving process with respect to what they lost. But I looked at it and said, like, I cannot deny what's actually true. Yeah, it, it was very difficult for me because my entire circle, my entire life was message people and message churches. And yeah. so when I left, yeah. literally every message friend I have, save about five of them, took me off their Facebook page and stopped talking to me. When I had been going to lunch, you know, I had been going out to lunch with some people once a week and fellowshipping with them. Well, and these people all tell me, oh, I love you and this and that. How do you love someone and then just cut them off because they stop going to your church? That's so bizarre to me. Well, yeah, it certainly isn't biblical love. I'd rather I'd rather know who my friends are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't you know, disagree with you. They, they weren't real friends to begin with. So that was difficult on me. Who would give up, you know, your whole life? That was my whole life. But I believe the sign posted a link about the pillar of fire picture having never been hung in the Library of Congress. Well, my friend texted me about it saying her husband went there before he came into the message and he saw the picture there. Well, I decided to call the library myself to confirm facts. I'm only interested in facts now, and I confirm everything (laughs) after what I've been through. Well, I found their contact information and called them, which anyone can do. And they told me that the photo was only there because a copyright had been applied for in the 50s. It was standard procedure at the time that a copy of any photo that was applied for, a copyright, was to be held in a file cabinet at at the Library of Congress. Well, the Pillar of Fire picture was one of 80,000 other photos in their miscellaneous collection. Every photo they hung on the wall was well-documented with the date it was hung and the time period listed in their files. Well, there was no record ever of the Pillar of Fire picture having been hung in the library. It had always simply been sitting in the file cabinet among the rest of their miscellaneous collection of photos. There was no spiritual significance of any sort attached to it. Well, that's quite contrary to William Brenham's claims about the photo. I sent my friend the phone number and told her to call call herself and fact check. Don't take my word for it. Well, her response to me 
was that I would do anything in the name of Satan. Wow, that's really sad, but all too common a reaction. And I, 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 well, and I can tell you, I actually went to the Library of Congress. I went in and I went to the filing cabinet that the photo was in. I pulled it open. I pulled the filing folder out and the picture was there. So I've seen it. I've been there, not on the wall. And there certainly isn't a hall of religious art or whatever William Branham called it. It doesn't exist. This Library of Conver- Congress and it is sitting in a filing cabinet, just as you said. So So, Carrie-Anne, now that you've left the message, what's the most profound thing you've come to realize since you've come out of the message? Well, most, if not all, message believers genuinely avoid truth-seeking. They refuse to fact-check anything you tell them if it contradicts William Brenham's doctrinal views. There's no real love, no friendship to be found in the message, at least not for me and not for anyone I've talked to who has left. Once you leave, practically everyone you know cuts you off and labels you as serpent seed. The lack of love or even a desire for truth is very disheartening. And the treatment people receive from so-called believers when they leave, even it's even more heartbreaking. I agree with you. So what's your current view of the message? I view the message the same way I view the Jehovah's Witness doctrine or Mormonism. And the message, in fact, has quite a few of the same doctrines and beliefs. Sincere people trapped in a false system of lies that draws you in with its emotionally charged stories and keeps you in with fear. It's a truth-based lie, just like the lie of the devil in the garden. All cults are based on half-truths, or they'd have no followers. Brenham did have some truth, but unfortunately, with all the lies that went with it, there's no point in even reading or listening to anything he preached. Every tape preached in a different denominational church has a different doctrinal spin to it. How do you get your eggs in order? Depending on where he preached the sermon, he preaches his doctrine differently. When there's no consistency, all you have is a big pile of confusion and hypocrisy. How do you sort it all out? What's true? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. So, what, so why, do, Carrie Ann, why do you think people stay in the message? And, and what's your view of those who are still left in the message? I think, sadly, they're controlled by fear. They fear they'll blaspheme the Holy Ghost if they question the message. Fear that if they even open up a website to read anything anti-message, they're going to blaspheme and cross a line. I really feel a great burden for those still trapped in any cult. They're blindly following a lie that they can't help but believe because they're brainwashed to only believe and don't question. It's a good theme song for sure for the message because they truly do only believe everything William Brenham told them without question. Never questioning anything, but simply stuffing it on a shelf until that shelf gets too heavy and falls off the wall. Carrie Ann, thanks for telling us your story, as strange as it is. But before we wrap it up, I'd like to ask one final question. What does it mean to you to be a true follower of Jesus? Well, I don't believe you need any other mediator but Christ alone. I don't need to listen to anyone's tapes to lead me to salvation or agree with anyone's doctrinal view to save me because Jesus Christ saved me by his grace alone. The scriptures don't say believe on the Lord Jesus plus all these other things a future prophet tells you to do and plus all the private revelation you have to accept. Scripture is of no private interpretation and in fact tells us to avoid those who go on babbling about visions and angels. If we follow that scripture, we wouldn't have all these cults. I don't need to have all the answers, and I don't claim to have all the answers. 
But all I need to know is that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding me, and I can feel and see his hand in my life from birth. There was one and only one messenger sent to the Gentiles, and his name was Paul. Seeing how difficult it seems for anyone in the message to accept anything contrary to William Brenham's viewpoints, I will truly be forever grateful to the Lord for having mercy on me and leading me out of deception. I'm also very grateful for all the work you guys have done and the courage it took you to actually prove the claims you once had on your website. Thanks very much, Carrie Ann. And I really do want to thank you for taking the time to tell us your story. And I know and I hope it will really resonate with some who've had some uh, experiences that are similar to your own. Thanks, Rod. My goal is to help others come to know that Christ alone is sufficient. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth, and we have no need that any man teach us. That is what I base my life upon, complete faith in the finished work of Christ and knowing that his Holy Spirit is my guide as he's shown me time and time again. And if there's one prayer I would admonish everyone listening to pray, it's that God would grant you true discernment and guidance from the Holy Spirit to be able to distinguish between actual truth and twisted truth. Thanks, Carrie Ann. For our listeners, if you'd like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website, or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life. You can also reach Brian at brian with a Y at offtheshelf.life. The Off the Shelf website also contains a comment section after each podcast. Just click on the title of the podcast and it will take you to the page for that specific podcast. The comment section is at the bottom of the page. And have a great week, everyone. Choose life that you might live The life that he gives